market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. All right, and welcome to the show, Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Michael Van Sant today. Uh, your normal host, Ken Smith, is actually out on assignment today. I'm sure he's scouring the financial world to bring you the most relevant, timely, and useful financial information. I expect to be back next week. Uh, I'm a certified financial planner. I also have a master's degree in financial planning. and one of the partners here at Empirical. Michael Van Sant is also a certified financial planner and an all-around good guy <laughs> as well. Uh, this show is designed to share with you investment and planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. Uh, Empirical is a fee-only registered investment advisor, serving clients locally here in Seattle, Portland, Alaska, and actually around the country. You bet. Around the world, even. People all around the world these days. Uh, our expert areas of expertise include investments, taxes, and especially retirement planning. And today's show, we're going to focus primarily on those three things. Fantastic. As you know, Mike, we've been doing a uh, very popular uh, seminar around town here, and actually it's available on the website as well, empirical.net, under retirement planning, um, about retirement planning specifically, Yeah, and we call it the six secrets of retirement success. Did you say six? That's right. We used to have five, and uh, we've discovered another one in which we included in the presentation. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's really that good. It really is. <laughs> and so today I thought we'd just kind of go through a couple of those things, um, each step by step, and um, you know, over the years, Mike, I know we each have uh, individual experience with each of these steps you bet. and how different folks we meet with handle them or, or approach them. Mm-hmm. And then how after we a discussion with us, they'll oh, go ahead. Or, or sometimes they don't handle them at all. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Sometimes there are ideas that weren't even on their radar. Yeah. If that's what you mean, I think you do. I do mean that. So I thought before we get to that, uh, which will be the, the meat of the program, um, I thought we'd cover some of our, our, our weekly market updates, which we happen to have here. And who in the office produces these, by the way? Is it Oh, he said, Brian, yeah. Brian does a great job on this every, yeah. every week, so we thought we'd go over some of this. Um, year-to-date, actually, obviously, hasn't been, been too long, but the market's been uh, off to a good start in some areas. Yeah, uh, and not others. That's right, that's right. The Dow Jones, that year-to-date so far, is actually negative about 0.9%. Ooh. And uh, the low, let's look at the lowest and highest and see okay. what, what, what okay. they are across the board here. Okay. And, and here in Empirical, we typically track about 15 different asset classes among the equities. And we, so we've ranked them here more or less in order here. The, the lowest performing asset class year-to-date is here emerging markets, negative 3.2% so far this year. So continuing the slide from, uh, from last year as well. And over the last one year, down still about 5%, negative 5%. So that's a bit unusual compared to the rest of the equity markets. Definitely. Mike, what's the highest performer on the list so far year-to-date? Year-to-date, uh, well, gold is. Uh, gold is actually the, the highest performing asset class year-to-date at 12.37. Wow. 
uh, an asset class that we follow a little closer year to date. Um, REITs is up 6.24. Wow. And microcap stocks up 6.6%. That's amazing. Year to date. Less, less than three months in. That's really good returns for that, that, that period. Looking at the last one year ending uh, on the 6th era of March, it looks like microcap stocks are up 41% for the trailing 12 months. Did you say 41? Yeah, 41%. Wow. Good thing we own it. What do you think of that? That's amazing, right? It is. It is. I'm glad it's a part of our portfolio. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, all, all, in fact, all across the last 12 months, a lot of equities uh, asset classes are really strongly positive still, which is really uh, nice to see. The difference, the, the difference between the Dow Jones up 14.87% over the last one year and asset classes like microcap or small cap growth or uh, pretty big difference. 41% on the microcap, 36 yeah. on small cap growth. Uh, Dow Jones at 14%, not too shabby, but once again, it's nice to be exposed to some of those other asset classes. Yeah, that's, that's a key of our, one of our, our portfolio philosophy, really, is diversification. And you really get the best diversification, not by investing in usually individual stocks, say, of, of a subset of the S&P or the Dow, but unique asset classes from around the world, including microcap stocks, international value, and those sorts of things. Yeah, asset classes that a lot of investors don't uh, usually find on their own. That's my experience, too. I mean, you, you've, you've been doing this for a long period of time, Mike, and, and we both have now. And you know, when, you, when you meet clients for the first time and you examine the portfolios that they have, a lot of times it is a, a, a concentrated portfolio, typically in U.S. large-cap stocks. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe even more so in their company stock. Yeah, right. If they're, they work wherever they work, they may own a lot of company stocks, yeah. specifically. So yeah. we, we're firm believers that uh, diversification really is, is key to success because it's tough to say which asset class is going to be the best performer in any given year. Although over time, they each have their own unique risk and return characteristics. Um, you still know when those are going to emerge. So by building a diversified portfolio, it kind of takes the guesswork out of things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'd rather not guess when we can use academic research and empirical evidence to deliver great results. Sure. Um, just for your information out there, too, uh, for those of you who are listening to the show, um, if you'd like us to examine your current portfolio, we'd be happy to do that. Just something as simple as a second opinion. Feel free to give us a call here at the radio, or not the radio, but the, the office here at 206-923-3474. And feel free to ask for, for Ethan, that's me, or, or Michael as well. We'd be happy to help you out. Uh, Mike, I thought we'd then segue into our retirement discussion. Can't wait. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> okay. So this this retirement presentation that we built uh, really is designed to do really three things. Um, in, in general, it's, one of them is to increase your purchasing power in retirement, mm-hmm. which obviously I think everyone would appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to get more from Social Security. Yeah. Again, things people generally <laughs> like. That was a very timely assignment. I appreciate that. <laughs> and also how to get better investment returns. Who doesn't want all of that? Yeah, I think these are things that virtually everyone would, would like more of, I'm sure. Yeah. So I thought we'd kick it off with uh, Social Security. And I, I know, you know a, lot, a lot of stuff out there on Social Security these days. Sure. You can really find information. You search the web, you'll hit. I mean, how many, how many millions of hits, if you Googled it, would you get? Yeah. Lots and lots. It's kind of tough, though, to simmer through or sift through all the, the different takes on Social Security and all the different opinions out there. Um, and why is it relevant anyhow? Let's talk about that first. Yeah, well, let's start with that. I, I think, well, we all know, kind of know what it is, but it, it does have some unique characteristics that I think are, are worth repeating, maybe for some of you, and maybe some of you will be, it'll be new. Okay. Um, things like this. So, for example, it, it adjusts for inflation. So, once you start receiving payments from Social Security, well, those will adjust with whatever inflation is. Wow. So, that's a pretty unique characteristic. Yeah. Uh, also, has certain tax advantages. Hmm. 
um, at, at a minimum level, uh, 15% of your payments from Social Security will re- be received tax-free. Wow. So if you looked actually in your tax return, let's say you're receiving Social Security, you would have uh, two amounts basically. One, one amount would be the total payments received from Social Security, mm-hmm. and then you'd have a taxable amount, which would be smaller. Yeah. And that taxable amount would be, depending on your, your overall income, at minimum, at level 15% tax-free. Yeah. So that's a pretty neat thing. And it could be completely tax-free as well, right? Yeah. If, you have, if you're under a certain threshold, it could be 100% tax-free. Yeah. It's possible. Very nice. Uh, it's also backed by the U.S. government, which makes it, in my view, as safe as U.S. Treasuries. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty safe, safe bet that's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And also, it's, all, it's received for life. And indeed, if you're married, which a lot of people are, mm-hmm. uh, the lifetime of you and your spouse. Wow. So, Sounds too good to be true. Mike, have you heard of Social Security before? Because you're really excited. <laughs> yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> All right. No, well, that's, that's kind of the main, main points of that. But let's talk about, oh, thank you. I like that. <laughs> there are two common elements, uh, aside from those things I just mentioned, that I think are, are frequently not really factored in really? When, when to consider Social Security. Um, hey, you know what? You don't have to say really all the time. <laughs> just kidding. So uh, the first thing is this. The first thing is this. It's the idea, and this is mainly for folks who are, are, who are married. So if you're an individual you're not married, uh, the decision to take Social Security is, is simplified in okay. my view because you have less choices available. Uh, the first thing is, is that it's fairly easy calculation to figure out when you should take Social Security based on some type of break-even point. So if you're, say, 62, you could, you're going to receive X amount of dollars from Social Security versus, say, taking it at 66. Okay. And obviously, the longer you wait, the more the, the larger the payments are going to be in the future. So you can plot out, essentially, when that break-even point would occur, and then you can figure out, well, gee, what's, my, what's the likelihood I'm actually going to reach that break-even point? So that's one way to do it. Um, most of the time, the break-even point is in the late 70s. So if you expect to live beyond that, um, in terms of dollars, anyhow, it makes good sense to probably uh, to wait, usually. Um, but it isn't always the case, and depending on your specific health factors, it could be you know, shorter or longer or, or one thing or the other. Ethan, what's, what's the difference if, if you take Social Security at 62 or 66 or wait all the way till full retirement age of 70? What's, do you, get, you get more money, correct? Yeah, so how it works is this. They basically take uh, whatever amount you qualify for at what they call full retirement age. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's 66. Okay. And actually that, that age could be different uh, if you're, you're uh, younger, but let's say 66. Uh, at 66, you're, you're, you're going to get X amount of benefit. Um, so let's say you said, hey, well, what would I get at 62 if I wanted to take it early? Mm-hmm. Well, your, your payment at full retirement age would be reduced by approximately six and a quarter percent every year okay. until uh, age 62. So you're basically looking at a, roughly a 25% reduction in payments if you took it early. Wow, that's steep. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. And if you wait till 70? So the opposite's true. Uh, not, it, it, if you delay past full retirement age, so let's say, again, full retirement age is 66, and you wait till 70 to, to actually claim benefits, for every year you defer beyond full retirement age, you actually get an increase in payments of 8% per year. So your payments by age 70 will be a 32% higher than they would have been at age 66. <laughs> Well, that is some serious coin. Yeah, take that to the bank. Yeah. And which, by the way, this is interesting to me. That, just that benefit, that, that idea that benefits get larger, that means at some point in time, be a 70 and beyond basically, you're drawing less from your other assets to support you. And I, I think this is a unique, elephant, unique element that is sometimes uh, forgotten. Did you call it an elephant? I did, but it was just, uh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> I was just looking out the window, we're here at the zoo today. And I, no, I'm joking. Um, my point with that was this: if, if you're, <laughs> thank you, thank you. My point with that was this: if you're, uh, if you're getting more from Social Security later in life, say mm-hmm. seventy and beyond, mm-hmm. that means you're necessarily spending less than you otherwise would from your other assets. 
Okay. So part of a lot of people's objectives is to leave a legacy, mm-hmm. leave money to mm-hmm. family heirs or, or charities or that, things of that nature. You can't not take Social Security with you, right? We True. Know. Once yeah. you, once you said you, it lasts a lifetime. Once you, that's right. Not, not a couple of them. All right. So once you pass away, your Social Security payments stop. But if you have used less of, oh, it looks like we're coming on, on a break. Is that correct? Oh, well, that's the end of the first segment already. I can't believe it's flying oh, by. Wow, it's so fun. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we are back, Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside... Michael Van Sand. Woo! <laughs> That's right. That's how I feel. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Mike. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, we were just uh, in the first segment finishing up. Well, I, I'm not sure we were in the middle of rather <laughs> a conversation about Social Security. Again, we're talking about uh, the six secrets to retirement success, and we lead off typically with Social Security. And, and by the way, the reason for that I think is, is important. Normally, when you're figuring out how much you need from reti- from need in retirement in terms of spending and so forth. You need to figure out what sources of income you actually have. Mm-hmm. So identify what you have in terms of income, and then you have these, usually a pool of assets from which you're going to use to bridge the gap, whatever that gap is. Okay. But first, you have to figure out, and I think also optimize your sources of, of income like pensions or Social Security. So it's normally the first step. Figure this out, and then the rest of the stuff you can, you can tackle next. All right, let's figure it out. So that's why we have it here in the first, uh, the first step of this presentation. 
And, and where can our listeners see this presentation if, uh, if they want to follow up on after this conversation, Ethan? Well, there actually is a, a link on our website. Okay. So we, we need to update it. It's probably a year and a half old, but still contains great information. Mm-hmm. I produced it myself. Wow. So I know it's, well, at least reasonably good. And it's about 20 minutes and actually goes through in, in a speedily format the same information for the most part we're going to cover here today. Uh, and it's available, again, on empirical.net under retirement planning, and there's a link right there to watch the video. Great. Um, I've had good feedback on that, although I, I tend not to get negative feedback sometimes, but I, heard, I think it's great. It is great. Well, let's get back to Social Security. All right. So I was saying right before the break that uh, one of the things that a lot of people want to do is optimize, or rather get as much as they can in terms of assets to pass on to heirs. And uh, at the same breath, let's say, well, I've taken Social Security now, early, mm-hmm. 66 or 62 or whatever that is. Now, if it happens to be a situation where your, your health isn't great and you have other factors like, you know, I don't expect to live a long time for longevity reasons or whatever, and then taking it early makes, makes okay sense. However, if you have average life expectancy or better or, or an average health, normally postponing is generally a better, better thing to do. And one of the other reasons why, I think, is this, is because, it, because necessarily you're drawing less from the assets you have if you're getting more from Social Security. Mm-hmm. Meaning if your desire is to leave a legacy, i.e. as much money as you can to your children or, or whatever else it might be, that makes good sense from that perspective too. So you'd, not, you'd want to optimize Social Security. Yeah, take more from Social Security and less from your portfolio. Exactly, to pass on more. So that's one thing I think most people don't really think about it in that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if that's an objective of yours, then you should consider that at least. Well, even, even if it's not an objective, to get the most from a source that you paid into seems like a good objective. I, I think so, too. But there's another reason to think about it okay. that way. So, uh, as we were talking about before, this idea of, uh, of joint life expectancy. So, it's really the, the really two things, I think, that I'll, we'll hammer in this part of the, the conversation today. And that is, if you're married, it isn't so much your individual life expectancies that matters as much. It mm-hmm. really is your, your joint life expectancy. And so, to give you an idea what I mean by that, it's this. So, let's say you're 62. You're married. And uh, the, and if you're male, you can expect to live to late age 82. That's the life expectancy. Um, and then if you're you're female, you can expect to live to, to about 85, 86 years old. And that's the life expectancy. Okay. However, joint life expectancy wise, you can expect that one of you, age 62, will make it to almost 90 years old. Wow. So that's significantly longer than either of you individually. And that's the main point. Joint life expectancy is greater than individual life expectancy. Okay. So you can expect to receive benefits for a longer period of time if you're married making it a lot more important to figure out, well, what's the optimal way to take Social Security? So that's sort of step one. And then moving on beyond that, looking at uh, what we call the switching strategies. This is the next level, probably a little more complicated than the idea of joint life expectancy. And primarily, there are two uh, useful switching strategies. Uh, one of those is called file and suspend, mm-hmm. and the other is called restricted applications. Okay. And it's funny, we do these, we do these uh, presentations I know, several times a month now yeah. around, around, around the sound here. And when I ask the question, who's heard of these strategies before? And we're all, I mean, people coming to these uh, events here are people who are retirement age usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very few raise their hand when I ask them the question, hey, who's heard of these things before? Very few. Sometimes people do, but most of the time not. Yeah, I agree. I'm always impressed by that. I'm like, wow, geez, hey, they're going to learn something new today. Mm-hmm. They're going to walk away with information they didn't previously had. I think that's great. So back to this. Uh, the file and suspend strategy is typically used if one in the couple has an earnings record. In other words, one person qualifies for Social Security. One person worked during their lifetime. Exactly. Right. Or, yeah, worked and then paid into the system uh, and, and worked long enough to receive benefits. Uh, the restricted application is typically used when both people, both, both parties of the couple, uh, qualify independently for Social Security. So okay. they've worked and they both paid in. Okay. So that's how that kind of works. Now, looking at uh, an example of this, and here we'll talk about the file and suspend strategy. 
Uh, it's really uh, intuitive once you kind of go through it, but it works like this. Basically, the person who qualifies for Social Security would file for benefits, usually at full retirement age. Let's say that again. That's, let's say that's 66. And at 66, the benefits of this, this particular person are $2,000 a month. Uh, they'd file, and they would immediately suspend. Okay. So again, they'd file, and they'd immediately suspend. So not receive any payments. Yeah, not receive payments. Oh, that seems a little strange. A little odd, yeah. a little odd. But bear with me. Here's, here's yeah. what's going on. It, what, what happens when, when um, they file and suspend is this. The non-wage-earning spouse is, then becomes eligible to receive benefits under the working spouse's earnings record. Get out of town. No, seriously. Really? It's how it works. Okay. So let's say in this example, let's say that they're, let's say they're the exact same age. They're both age 66. So the, the wage earner goes, files, immediately suspends, and then makes the non-wage earner eligible to receive benefits. In fact, the benefits they're eligible to receive are exactly one half of the wage earner's benefits at full retirement age. Wow. So let's say the benefits are 2000 bucks a month for the, for the wage earner. <laughs> the, the non-wage earning spouse then is eligible to receive 1000 bucks a month. Seems like free money. Yeah, it's one way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the re- recipient's perspective, it basically is. If you don't take it, well, you're giving up free money. That's yeah. in essence how it works. Uh, the other thing about this, it allows the, the the wage earner then to defer benefits until age seventy, if you wanted to wait that long, which usually makes good sense. Which would be a thirty-two percent increase from when they were sixty-six. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So instead of getting two thousand bucks a month, which they would have gotten at age sixty-six, their benefits will be two thousand six hundred forty bucks a month, starting at age seventy. Wow. And by the way, at that time. The non-wagering spouse still continues to get the thousand bucks a month they were eligible for for the rest of their lives, right? Yes. Wow, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Sign me up. So that's the that's an example of the file and suspend strategy. What what happens if if the wage earner passes away? You know, the the spouse is getting a thousand dollars a month. Month the wage earner is getting twenty six forty a month. Right. But the wage earner passes away. What, what happens to the, to the surviving spouse? How much will they get? Yes, in this case, what will happen is that the non-wage earning, or the surviving spouse, I should say, will actually step up to the higher benefit. Get out of town. So they'll get the, wow. the $2,640. And actually, they get the difference. So they'll get an additional 1640 bucks a month on top of the 1000 bucks a month they're getting. Mm-hmm. So that's how it will work. So that's okay. another reason to, when you're considering joint life expectancy, the main thing is you want to preserve the highest payment amount, i.e. at age 70, uh, for Basically, the, your, both of your joint life expectancies. The longest period of time. The longest period of time, exactly. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty exciting. What happens if both spouses earn money? Well, that's, that's the next, next, uh, next slide, actually. That's okay. The, well, then we would use something a little different. Uh-huh. We would probably use what we call a restricted application. I can't wait to hear. You knew what was coming. <laughs> Thanks for that. It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, in this example, we have uh, both people who qualify independently for Social Security, both spouses, I should say. Uh, what happens is this. You have, in this example, the low-wage earner files first. So usually they'll uh, file, let's say, at 62 as an example, age 62, which is four years before, before full retirement age. Because they're filing early for benefits, their benefits are reduced. So let's say, for example, that at, at age 66, their benefits was, were going to be $1,400 a month. Well, if they file early at 62, it's going to be 1050 bucks a month. So that's what it is. And that's okay, and maybe mm-hmm. that's the best strategy. But just to give you an example of how this works, when the low-wage earner files for benefits, it makes the high-wage earner eligible to receive benefits. Voila. If they don't file, they, they aren't eligible. Are you making this stuff up? No, it's, it's really how it works. Okay. And let's assume in this case the high-wage earner actually is uh, 66 when the low-wage earner is 62, just to make things easy. At, at full retirement age then, at 66 for the high-wage earner, 
they would file for benefits, but not under their own earning record. They would mm-hmm. file for benefits under their spouse's earnings record. And they will begin to receive 50% of the full retirement benefit of the low-wage earner. $700. 700 bucks. Yeah. So look at 700 bucks a month until age 70, which mm-hmm. they switch to their own benefit, which we, again, we talked about in the previous example. Let's say that benefit was $2,640. This is like witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's exactly like that. Okay. But it is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ways to get uh, income that you probably didn't, didn't know about, at least a lot of folks don't know about. So in this, in this example, you have the low wage earner receiving 1050 bucks a month forever, and then the high wage earner filing for benefits under spousal benefits at age 66, getting 700 bucks a month until age 70, and then switching to their own, uh, which, again, you get the delayed retirement credits, earning 8% per year extra. So at age 70, they're 32% higher. And then let's say, for example, the high wage earner passes away first, because in this case, they're actually a little older. Well, then the low wage earner would step up to the full benefit. Sign me up. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Pretty neat stuff. A couple questions. Uh, All right. How come more people don't do this, don't know about it? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think lots of reasons. Okay. Lots of reasons. I think one of those is that they don't understand the switching strategies. Sure. For one thing, that's one yeah. big reason. Yeah. Again, I ask the question most of the time, probably only maybe 20% of the people say, yeah, they actually heard of it. Mm-hmm. Not that they clearly understand it, but yeah. they heard of it. Other folks underestimate life expectancy, and I think mm-hmm. significantly underestimate joint life expectancy. They think that's generally true. Uh, other folks make decisions for other reasons, or things like maybe, hey, it won't be around later. Yeah. I once heard that uh, 75% of people take Social Security at age 62. Wow, really? Yeah. That's an amazing statistic. A lot of help we can do out there. Yeah, wow. Um, and I think one re- another reason is that... Uh, you know, people don't ask generally how to maximize benefits over my lifetime, mm-hmm. or certainly my a joint lifetime if I'm married. Yeah, they're really hey, how can how can I get the most money right now? Yeah, or certainly yeah. that's what Social Security Administration helps. Yeah, hey, right now, yeah, biggest payment. Um, so I actually have an example. I think we have just a minute or two left. Um, I wanted to run through a, a, a possible scenario with this, and this this example is a real life example. Um, somebody who we are now working with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, came to us a couple of years ago, and their plan was to take Social Security just at 62. Mm-hmm. And in, in this case, both of them, both spouses, uh, qualified independently for Social Security, and there's pretty equal amounts. And again, their, their plan was to take it early at 62, and, and that was fine. Uh, but I just applied to their situation the two things we just talked about, mm-hmm. which was the restricted application and also making sure we understand joint life expectancy. Um, under these conditions, under their earnings records and their ages and things, they had expected uh, to, to take from Social Security $833,000 over their lifetime under their, their own sort of scenario. Not too early. bad. Yeah, which is a lot of money. Almost right? a million bucks. Yeah. But taking into account the things we just discussed, mm-hmm. um, uh, we, we were able to understand that given the same life expectancies, they can expect to pull out $966,000 over their lifetime. Wow. That's an increase of 100, 132000 bucks. And by the way, that's in, measured in today's dollars assuming a discount rate of 5% mm-hmm. and an inflation rate of 3%. So it's like basically like retiring whenever you're going to retire and whatever, however much money you have at that time, go ahead and add 132000 bucks to it. Oh, please. It's just like that. That sounds... It's the same type of impact on the retirement plan, essentially. That makes a big difference. It's a really big difference. And in this case, the break-even age from taking it early versus delaying it, as I've suggested as using the restricted application, was age 78. Okay. And the, the joint probability of reaching age 78 was 92%. <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> I'll for I'll take sure. those odds. It's really good odds. Yeah. So, again, if you have average health or better, 
um, average longevity expectations, taking it in this way gives you the best probability of maximizing that particular asset going mm-hmm. into, into retirement. Step one. Pretty phenomenal, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that. And by the way, we have a great computer program, along with great advisors here, that know how to run the program to help you figure out how much you should take from Social Security. So if you would like us to do that for you on an individual basis, I'd be happy to do that at no charge. Wow. Get out of town. Just give us a call or shoot me an email at ebroga at empirical.net or dial me up here at the office at 206-923-3474 sometime. And again, I'd be happy to talk with you. Uh, We are coming up on a break. Is that true, Simon? Okay. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Looking forward to it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga alongside uh, Michael Van Sant. Mike, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. Darn nice of you to be here. Yeah. Uh, we were just talking about, well, I, mean, I was almost going to say ranting, <laughs> but I don't think it's quite like that. No, no. We're uh, passionate. That's passion. Yeah. Yeah, we are passionate about these subjects, that's for sure. Uh, Social Security, which is great. Just wrap that conversation up. That's really step one of our six step, steps to retirement success. And we're going to go ahead and skip ahead. Oh. We're going to skip number two, Ooh. three, Oh. Four, and hit number five. I hope we can get to come back to two, three, and four. If there's time. All right, let's know, hit number five. I know in, in past shows we've actually um, discussed uh, two and three for sure before. Okay. okay. Uh, I don't know we've, we've actually 
tackled step five in this this fashion before okay. on the show. We, we've, we've talked about it in general, but not so much as directly as we will today, probably. Without further ado. And step five, secret yes. number five, mm-hmm. uh, is a couple of different things. Uh, they're basically where we talk about the investments. Yeah. So I can't wait. A lot of folks, um, I don't know, think they have investing under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may or may not be the case. But I tell you this, when we get to connected with client portfolios, they very rarely look the same as if we were doing it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and not that we are, are you know, the know-all beings here, but we have been doing this for quite some time and yeah. looked at the ab- academic research and how best to construct portfolios. And I can tell you I have a very specific and keen reason for everything we were doing with the portfolio. Yeah. It isn't ad hoc. It isn't, or we're not making things up as we go along. Uh, it's built based on the academic evidence uh, that suggests, hey, this is the way, best way to do it. And from what I know, the way that we do it is how foundations and pensions do it as well. They 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 can't the vast make majority. Mistakes. The vast majority that you're exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And luckily, luckily for most people, this 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 way of investing is becoming more and more prevalent as time goes along. Here, amen. Uh, I agree. That part of the market that that offers or invests this way uh, is growing, which I think is excellent mm-hmm. for investors. Yeah. Uh, so the very first thing we're talking about is is targeted premium investing. Okay. And uh, that's one of the that's basically a descriptive phrase that I think pinpoints really big benefit of our approach. Um, and it's basically this. What is targeted premium investing? Well, most people, as I mentioned on top of the show, when they come to us, they're primarily invested. Their portfolios are consist of, I should say, primarily U.S. large cap stocks, mm-hmm. some subset of the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, mm-hmm. and which is okay. Not, a, not necessarily a bad thing, but it isn't optimal in our view. And the reason it isn't optimal, because if you own, let's say you own 15 stocks, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all part of the S&P 500, well, what's going to happen is, in general, you're going to get the returns of large cap stocks, because mm-hmm. you are you own mostly large cap stocks. Which isn't that bad. And Which isn't bad. They've, they've done almost 10% a year over the last 80 years. That's right. I have the data here from 1927 to 2011, uh, 9.75% per yeah. year. So, not, nothing really to complain about no. there. But if you're not aware of anything else, you might think, well, that's the best there is out there. Yeah. And, but the data shows that it's not exactly the case. There are other asset classes, and I have a list of them here. In fact, in our portfolios, we typically have 15 asset classes, mm-hmm. of which U.S. large cap is just one of 15. Um, and many of them, in fact, one, two, three, four, ten of them, ten in, this, uh, in and among our portfolios, ten asset classes have higher returns on average than just the S&P 500. Wow. So that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. I mean, things like, for example, small cap value, U.S. small cap value, emerging markets value. International small companies, U.S. small companies, international small value, so forth and so on, mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. We call those areas outside of the, the normal realm of investing, like U.S. large cap space, targeted premium investing, because we're targeting specific asset classes that offer, historically anyway, and I think a good reason to believe that'll happen in the future, higher returns than just U.S. large cap stocks. Okay. So that's why we get the idea of targeted premium investing. We're targeting asset classes that have uh, historically provided better returns. And not that we say we don't have you know, the U.S. large cap space, it just isn't our entire portfolio. Yep. It's only one piece of many. Yep. So that's the idea of target premium investing. I think that's the biggest single factor, I think, and you, maybe you can tell me your opinion. Oh, I agree. Yeah, so uh, the, this is the single biggest thing that can be added to a portfolio in terms of, hey, how can I enhance performance? Number one, include asset classes outside the S&P 500 yep. and basically stick with it. Yeah. So It also has the amazing effect of taking taking risk out of your portfolio. I mean, how, how great is it you can get higher returns with less risk? That's exactly right. Yeah. So when you run this, this data statistically, which we've done on these portfolios for, for a long, long period of time, in essence, you have a, a lower, what we call standard deviation mm-hmm. or, or annual uh, risk measurement. 
and a higher return. Perfect. Which is, I mean, you're having your cake and eating it too, mm. in a sense, which I know we all like to do. <laughs> so I think that's pretty exciting. Let's dive in a little deeper. All right. So that's the very first thing. And then the next thing, I think in terms of importance, and, and this is just my opinion, I guess, there, and there are other ways to look at this, but the next best thing out there is what we call enhanced indexing. So let's say you've made the choice to go ahead and, and, hey, you know what? I want to have a diversified portfolio. I want to have uh, 15 different asset classes from around the world. And then I want to go ahead and and get exposure to those things, those asset classes. Well, you have some choices to make. You can choose between uh, a traditional investment like a mutual fund or some type of ETF. Uh, That that may be fine. Mm -hmm. But you also have the ability to, at least if you're working with us, select from among what we call enhanced index funds. Tell me more. So I think, by the way, indexing is a great idea. So your your best alternative here is to get exposure through index funds for these asset classes, um, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that at all. But I think if you are looking for ways to improve, you also would examine enhanced indexing. And and when I ask the question in these seminars, hey, have you heard of enhanced indexing before? Virtually nobody raises their hand. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of why we're talking about this. I think it's important and new information. It's like the biggest seminar we've ever had right now. (laughs) Probably the biggest audience I've had. That's probably true. So uh, the idea with enhanced indexing is this. You take an index, which is already a good thing. If you're indexing, hey, you're, you're 85% or maybe even 90% of the way there, uh, assuming you have a diversified portfolio. Because you're, you're not participating in, in the rigmarole that Wall Street wants you to believe in, which is, hey, they can time the market and pick the right stocks. Mm-hmm. That approach frankly doesn't work. It's, it, it basically is, is a fact. If you don't believe that, uh, I encourage you to dig a little deeper. You got a bridge to sell you? <laughs> exactly. But indexing is, is really the way to go for most investors. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing with enhanced indexing is taking it up a notch further. Because there are really two main weaknesses of index funds, which if you could avoid, you would like to avoid. Mm-hmm. And namely, they are specifically, let me get to them, uh, what we call the reconstitution effect. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a mouthful, but we'll talk about what that is in a minute. And then number two, the exposure problem. Now, this isn't like northern exposure. It's not a problem there. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of you know, being exposed to things that drive returns. Okay. So let's talk about these one by one. And it really isn't too complicated. So first thing first, uh, the reconstitution effect. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Oh, boy. Here you go. Ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Hit me. So uh, let me set the stage for you first. Okay. So when an index fund, um, the index fund committee, as you know, decides what stocks are going to be in the index okay. and what stocks are going to be out of the index, right? Okay. That's pretty, pretty familiar, I'm sure, for you. Yep. Um, well, which is all fine and good. So once they get together, they figure out what stocks are going to comprise the index and then they have to make that known. They have to make that publicly known. Yeah. So the index people who, who build the indexes that you and I invest, might invest in um, can make their necessary adjustments. Mm-hmm. When they do that, that's called the announcement. They announce what funds or what stocks rather are going to be in the index at that particular time. So let me ask you a question. Here's the question. I'm ready. I'm waiting. Now, I got a trillion dollars here waiting. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, Drum roll. When the stocks are, are announced that they're going to be added to the index, mm-hmm. what do you think happens to the prices of those stocks? They've got to go up, right? Yeah, right. Exactly right. Yeah, Common sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's announced that, hey, all the index funds out there are going to be holding these particular stocks at a certain date. Uh, boy, the price is going to go up because there's going to be yeah. a lot more demand for those stocks. Yeah, everyone's got to buy those stocks. All exactly. the index funds. Right. And what happens is they, the, the index committee says, hey, on this date, so maybe it's a week or maybe it's even a day in advance, uh, this date, those stocks are going to be in the index. So basically, at that time, you've got to have them. Mm-hmm. And, but in the meantime, between the announcement and the effective date, the stock price has already gone up. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. So if you're an index fund holder, you're actually buying it after the price has already risen, which you wouldn't normally want to do. No. Isn't, and that's not the way to make money, right? Yep. 
And then once they're added to the fund, well, they have this what they call decay, and maybe it's more of a, uh, a price decline because of the the, the uh, lack of demand. Some of the demand diminishes a bit, and the price goes back down. So basically, what are you doing? You're you're buying high, and you're holding low, <laughs> in essence. That doesn't sound like a good strategy. Yeah, and what's so interesting, in spite of this 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 known phenomenon, index funds are far better than your average or traditional way to invest. Mm-hmm. So this this is. Just one element that if you could change, you would. But in spite of this, indexes are still a good idea in my view. Uh, and the opposite effect is true uh, when stocks are going out of the fund, right? Or out of the index. So the announcements made that, hey, these stocks are going out of the index. What happens to those stocks? The ones that are going out, yeah. I would imagine, well, we got to make room for the ones coming in. So the ones going out would probably lose, lose value. That's exactly right. Same phenomenon on the opposite side of the coin. So the stocks exiting the index go down in value until the effective date. Mm-hmm. At which time you're selling low, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the best approach, obviously. Now, buying high and selling low is n- not a good investment. It's approach. really not what you want to do long no. term. No. So, and to give you an idea uh, of how, how significant this can be, I just happened to be, uh, this came across my desk uh, back in September 9th. And on that day, this is September 9th, 2013, to give a real crystal clear example, uh, Delta Airlines, it was announced, it was going to be added to the S&P 500. So, on the announcement, basically the stock jumped up 6%. <coughs> wow. Just in, in, during the day. And by the end of the day, I just checked it again to see what, where it's at. It was up 9.4% for the one day. One day. One day. Because the very next day, September 10th, it was going to be added to the S&P. Mm-hmm. So you had, to, you had to buy it by that time. If you didn't, then you're not tracking the index. So. And the problem here is people that own the index didn't get that 9% because it wasn't in the index yet. That's right. They bought it the day after it had gone up 9%. That's exactly correct. Okay. Which is, obviously, you can see the problem. Yeah, it's a big problem. Big problem. So if you could... Find a way around that. That would be a good thing. Yeah. And getting a way around that is exactly what enhanced indexing allows you to do. And, and where do you get this enhanced indexing? Well, there are only a few f- firms out there that do offer the enhanced index approach. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, though, I want to make sure we're okay on time. We have a little more time here, Simon? Okay. So that's exactly right. There are only a few uh, enhanced index fund companies around. And mm-hmm. the best one I know of is, is Dimensional, mm-hmm. the DFA. And they do a, a very good job of not being slavish to a particular index. For most of their funds, mm-hmm. uh, by that I mean they don't, they don't have to say they don't have to uh, follow through when they say jump, right? They don't have to. They don't buy the delta after it's gone up nine percent, right? They own it before maybe, right? And I think the best example of that is what I would call a uh, their, their small cap fund because mm-hmm. um, it's nice to compare that versus the Russell two thousand, which mm-hmm. is a very common small company index. Um, so maybe before we get to that, I'll talk about the next exposure problem. Okay, if that's okay, and then we'll tie it all together at the end. Put a bow on it. Put a bow on it, if you All want. Right. <laughs> so the, the other issue is this. Uh, so we talked about one issue with index funds. That is the uh, reconstitution effect, which, again, is, is not a huge problem, uh, but it is some, a weakness anyhow. It drags, drags your returns down a little bit. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. And we'll get to that here at the, at the very end of this, what the return differences actually are between the two, uh, for an example anyhow. But we are coming up on our break. So before we get to the rest of this, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. 
or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We're back, Empirical Investing Radio. Sorry for the... uh technical difficulties, but we are back for our last segment here. Uh, thanks for joining us. Your host, Ethan Broga, alongside Michael Van Sant. We were just talking about one of the steps in our, our six secrets to retirement success. And the last, well, we were talking about investments specifically. Yeah. In the previous segment, we talked about this idea of, of um, uh, enhanced indexing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I forgot what it was. <laughs> Not true at all. Um, and we, we talked, identified the weaknesses of an, an index, um, although, again, in general, they're pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, the other weakness is this, what, I call the, what I've defined as the exposure problem. Mm-hmm. And I think a real crystal clear example of this is the Russell 2000 as an example. Okay. Um, so before I get to that, we have to take a step back and understand what explains the vast majority of the differences in stock returns. And Mike, you and I know the answer to this. It, yeah. is, it is company size. Yeah. That's the very first thing that will determine differences in returns in, in diversified portfolios. Exposure to small companies versus large. Quick example, um, if you were able to dissect the U.S. stock market going back to 1926 through 2012 and look at the 10% largest stocks, their average return, about 10%. Not bad. Not bad. No complaints. But the smallest 10% of stocks over the same time period had a return of about 20%. Uh, double. Almost, yeah, actually double the return, basically, wow. over the same period. So you can clearly see there's a relationship between company size or stock size mm-hmm. um, and, and returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. If you understand that, A, you'll have one that in, one includes a small company in your portfolio, right? That's natural. Uh, clearly, there's more risk there. That's yeah. why I'd say that. Yeah. But the, the real, real question is, do you get rewarded for that extra risk? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. You get rewarded. And, and, we, and we recommend getting exposure to either asset class in a diversified way, not right. just going out and picking a couple small company stocks or a couple large company stocks. Here's an example just in the last one year ending uh, 
March 6th. Again, it's micro-cap stocks. The Hit smallest, the smallest stocks it. in the U.S. stock market Let's up 41% for the last on. one year. The Dow Jones up 14%. So just go ahead and reverse those numbers. Wow. 41 or 14, which is better? I'm going to take the 41. Yeah. So clearly the more risk there, but you, you are getting rewarded for the risk, and that's mm-hmm. the point. Mm-hmm. So let's say you understand that concept and you want to include small company stocks in your portfolio. I do. One, one way to do it is to go out and buy a, uh, an index fund, okay. like the Russell 2000. Yeah. Very common uh, small company index fund. Yeah, made right down the, the, yeah. right down the street. Right down the street. You know, good guys down there. But here's the thing. Looking at the Russell 2000, when you're buying that index, what you're actually buying is not necessarily a 100% small companies. How come? That's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. Mainly because as st- through time, stocks go up in value mm-hmm. and they graduate from the small company space. Mm-hmm. So at any given point in time, and we have the data here going back 19, uh, rather 2004 through 2013, the average exposure of small companies in the Russell 2000, mm-hmm. which again is a small cap index, mm-hmm. 11 months out of the year, other than the reconstitution month, mm-hmm. is 88%. So 88% small mm-hmm. cap and 12% I'm assuming large cap. Mm-hmm. So you're not purely getting the exposure that you want with that approach. Sounds like a problem. It's, it's a problem. It's, yeah. another, it's a drag on performance. You're not getting what you paid for. Yeah, you, 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 don't, you, didn't, you didn't, I mean, it's better than owning, again, all large company, but it isn't the best thing available yeah. in that space is how I look at that. Why don't you tell me what the best thing is? <laughs> I think the best option in that space is the, uh, the DFA fund, the Dimensional okay. Fund Advisor Small Cap Portfolio. And because they're not tracking the index explicitly, they don't go through and say, hey, Russell, what's the 2,000 stocks we mm-hmm. should own? They just say, well, hey, what's the smallest 10% of small companies in the U.S. stock market? That's our universe for picking small cap stocks. Mm-hmm. And there's roughly 2,400 in that space right now. And let's just own those. Yeah. That's how they do it. Makes so much sense. They, they avoid the reconstitution problem, but they also have a, a more consistent exposure to small companies, mm-hmm. which, again, helps out performance. Yeah. Um, in fact, 11 months, uh, 12 months out of the year, uh, the DFA small cap is about 97%. Wow, so almost that's, a full 10% more. Yeah. So that's pretty, pretty significant. And really, I mean, why that really matters is this. I mean, we're talking about these, these minute details. Some people might even say you know, it's, it's the weeds, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important. And here's the results of that. It is this. The, if you compare the performance, mm-hmm. basically what I just spent the last 15 minutes talking about is explaining the differences of return, mm-hmm. which is what we're all after anyways. Mm-hmm. So looking at the last 10 years ending March 31st, 2013, yeah, the Russell Index 11.58% per year. Yep. And the DFA, what we call the Enhanced Small Company fund 12.73%. That's 1.15% higher per year. That's going to add up. Definitely going to add up over yeah. time, right? Since inception, and this fund came out in 1992, so it's been around for a long period of time. Since inception, uh, Russell 2008.99, this fund 10.39%. A difference of 1.4% per year. Boy. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? It is. Uh, if you took 100000 bucks and invested it, the difference over that since inception would be uh, $188,000. And by the way, just to clarify that number, that's in today's dollars, discounted at 3%. Wow. So that's an enormous difference in, mm-hmm. in wealth over that period of time. Just by owning a slightly different fund in the exact same space, mm-hmm. who is taking this enhanced index idea uh, and, and, and maximizing it in terms of returns. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I love that. And we do this, in essence, for all of the, the investments in our portfolio. So we have, like I said, at the top of the hour, 15 asset classes. Okay. Um, most of them we use enhanced index funds for. This type of thing, where you're not just getting the index return, you're getting something better than the index return over time because of the exposures we just talked about. And the index funds were, were good, but yeah. the enhanced index, even better. Every Lex indexes, these are even better. Not everybody. Wall well, Street doesn't. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> the guys in Wall Street don't, but you should as an individual yeah. investor. You should love yeah. index funds. Yeah. They are your friend. Yeah. Um, so it's like taking, taking what's good, but making it great. And who, who doesn't want that? I, I, sign me up. 
<laughs> I have a little slide here in, in the presentation that I say even Einstein likes it. Uh -huh. You know, the E equals enhanced indexing, not E equals MC squared. Was that his final theorem? I think so, yes. right before he yes. passed away. But uh, anyway, good stuff there. All right. So uh, we have a little more time, about three minutes or so before the end of the program. And I thought I'd just revisit, take a step back, and cover step number two. Well, and, and let's make sure Plus we leave time. No, no, wait, two, three, four, whichever steps you want to talk about. Um, but let's also, as you said, put a nice bow on all of this and, and, and share with our listeners the cumulative difference that all this makes to a typical investor. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just uh, summarize the end of this. Yeah, let's, go to the, let's get to the bottom line. I think that's You're a bottom line kind of guy. That's generally true. Generally true. So in this, uh, these six secrets, there are, uh, as, as the name indicates, six secrets. Get out of town. <laughs> Individually, they are. Social Security optimization. Sure. Roth conversions. Come on. Asset placement. Okay. What we're calling annual gain harvesting. Hmm. And then the big one's enhanced indexing. That's the biggest difference. Maker. Yeah, we just, we just talked about that one. But the sixth secret okay. is the most important secret. I'll bring it around. And that is... Come on. ...using all of those in coordination. <laughs> all of those combined... Wait for the drum roll to is stop. The, ...is the biggest secret. All of those... I'm trying to speak over the drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying talk louder. You're saying wait. Uh, okay. So the biggest secret is using them all in a coordinated manner to enhance your overall performance. That's brilliant. It isn't one... No. Or the other. No. It's all of them combined is where the most value is. And that's exactly what we specialize here at Empirical. I can't imagine someone off the street can do that. Uh, well, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I mean, we work, we work with some pretty smart clients. Yeah. And a lot of times, they aren't, they aren't thinking of these things on their own. No. That's for sure. And they've been doing it for a long period of time, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of times, this is new stuff to them. But uh, on average, and I, through my presentation here, I, I'd expect we'd be able to average, average uh, an increase in performance or net wealth to you Net of our costs, which by the way is one percent of the first two million dollars, uh, of two point seven percent per year. That's the in the in the, in the program here. That's okay. what we, we calculate as the benefit. That sounds good, but tell me what would that mean in dollars? So if you got two point seven percent per year in excess from yeah. executing these secrets, what what would that do to my my net worth? So like me. So take let's say you had a million dollars and going into retirement, okay. and you're going to spend say you know four percent of your portfolio. That mm -hmm. was the that's forty thousand bucks a year. Mm -hmm. You can go ahead and add twenty seven thousand dollars to that basically on average. Wow. That's a, I mean in terms of a spending power increase, that's over fifty percent more. That can allow me to retire years earlier than I thought I might have been able to. That's exactly right. Or or leave more to my kids. You can, you can decide what you want to do with the money, but it's uh -huh. yours if you handle it this way. Wow, that's a substantial difference. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Well, Mike, we're uh, at the top of the hour here. The show's at, at an end. Uh, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. And, uh, Should we make sure they know where to find us if, uh, to, to get that extra $27,000 a year per million? Yes. If you'd like to talk with us here at the Empirical Towers, give us a call at 206-923-3474 and feel free to speak with Michael or Ethan. Yeah. Have a great day. Thanks for your time. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.
to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice.